Good morning, church. If we could start by putting Psalm 27.4 up, please. Just have such a sense the Lord wants us to see him more clearly today and to be encouraged and strengthened by that. Psalm 27.4, the psalmist says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So Lord, here we are this morning with you, you with us. We thank you for that. We acknowledge you're beautiful. We acknowledge you're beautiful, Lord. We want to gaze on your beauty in this moment. And Lord, we're here to seek you. We're here to hear from you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's beautiful when you read this that the psalmist saying, there's only one thing that I'm asking from the Lord. If you could ask one and only one thing from the Lord, would this be it? Would this be it? It's, it's, it's very fascinating, actually. And the interesting thing is, I think in the days we live in, in the culture we live in, this type of desire doesn't, doesn't really go over very well. Because it doesn't match up with the culture of having to do a lot of things, to get a lot done to make a difference, to go save all of eternity for Jesus, of course. And the psalmist, he, he has just one desire, to dwell in his house, to be in his presence, just seeing him for who he is, seeing his beauty, knowing that he's with him, knowing that he's there, and just being ready for him to say whatever he wants to say, just seeking his face. That's all he wants. And we have to realize that this is actually the Lord's desire for us. That the psalmist wasn't missing it. He was actually aligning with the Lord's heart. We see in Psalm 27, verse 8. Psalm 27, verse 8. The psalmist says, You, God, you have said, Seek my face, inquire for, and require my presence as your vital need. That's what the psalmist knows God is wanting him to do. And the psalmist replies, my heart says to you, your face, your presence, Lord, will I seek, inquire for, and require of a necessity. I need you, Lord. And there's been this theme coming this morning of realizing because of who God is, because of his power, who we are in him. And to remember that and in the days we live in and the events that are happening around us, in Ephesians 3, verse 20 through 21, you see this beautiful call, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, if you've been in church for any period of time and you've, and you've read and heard a number of these stories, you realize God has already done an insane amount of incredible things. I mean, this morning we highlighted, do we realize that Jesus was actually raised from death over 2,000 years ago? And there's stories of, of seas being parted. There's stories and stories of God's power in this book. So there's, there's a lot that we can actually imagine he can do, as well as ask him to do in our lives. But I think it's important for us to realize that when we read this scripture, it actually says he's able to do immeasurably more. We can't even measure or fathom what he can do compared to what we ask or could even imagine based on what we know about him. He can do immeasurably more. And you might think, well, that's great, but how does that impact my life? It says, according to his power that is at work within us. And that reality, that do we realize that if we have been born again, we have received the Holy Spirit? Now, Jesus, when he walked the earth, said, it's actually better that I leave you guys so that I can go back to the Father and send the Holy Spirit to you. You know, a lot of us would probably want to have Jesus actually side by side with us as we're walking here. But he told his disciples, no, 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 it's actually better I go and send the Holy Spirit. And so now we have the Holy Spirit, the God himself, the same power that raised Christ from the dead at work within us. It's incredible. And a good question to ask is, are we living our lives with this as a reality? That in the midst of everything we face, and this world is going haywire and crazy very fast, but in the midst of that, do we realize that God himself is within us, working in ways that we can't even measure or fathom? And I feel like the Lord wants us to, again, this theme came through already this morning, to realize that, to, to walk and live in a place of strength because of it. Not because we're anything special, but because we're in him. He's our rock. We find our strength in him because of who he is. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them. So at this point, Jesus is coming to the disciples. He's already died on the cross and risen from the grave. And he comes to them and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father you know, the Son, you know, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In a moment, we're going to look at the, the beginning of this command he gives the disciples. But actually, I want to start at the end where he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, it's an incredible promise from Jesus. The end of the age hasn't come, but we're still sitting here right now, breath in our lungs, living our lives in church, realize the end of the age hasn't come, and therefore, until it comes, he's with us. And he promises he will always be with us to the very end of the age. So we can have this, this boldness, this contentment, this joy, this peace, again, no matter what's happening around us, and be assured that he's with us. He's with us. 
And we need this in the world that we live in. Matthew 24, 13. Jesus said, in the end days, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the only way that we're going to be able to, to stand firm, to endure in the days we're living in, is to make sure that we're actually in him, aligning with him, finding our strength in him, not in ourselves. And from that place of assurance, Jesus speaks of what a disciple is to look like. Back to Matthew 28, verse 18. He gives two characteristics of a disciple. Now, he's instructing them on how to make a disciple, but realize that that actually then describes what we should be as his disciples. And the first characteristic we see here is that they have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And throughout Scripture, we see this concept of, of first of all, water baptism. Repent and be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit falls on the believers who are waiting for the Holy Spirit. And Peter gives a, a preach and a sermon about who Jesus really was. And the Jews hear this message. And in verse 37, Acts 2, 37. So they hear this message about Jesus, and it says they were cut to the heart. They realize that, yes, in fact, it is true. Jesus was the Son of God. He is their Savior. He, they actually killed him on the cross, and he rose again from the dead. And they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I mean, it wasn't the best news to hear. Like, you guys actually killed Jesus. You killed the Savior and the Messiah. You nailed him to a tree. That would cut me to the heart if that actually dropped in to my spirit. I was well, what do I do now? Like, am I done? Is it over? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so there's a, there's a baptism that takes place, which really... When you, when you get dunked in the water and come out, it's an outward display, first of all, of your confession that I acknowledge he is Lord, but also it shows that you have repented of your sins, of living life your way. You realize you are a sinner, you need his forgiveness, and you've decided to stop living life your way and now live life his way. Galatians 2.20 Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. That is, in him, I have actually shared his crucifixion. I've shared in his crucifixion. I've shared in his death. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so we've died to our former life in that moment. And we're also baptized by the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier, we receive the Holy Spirit. We've actually been born again. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So this is the first characteristic we see Jesus give here for what a disciple is supposed to look like if you are a disciple, as well as if you're going to make a disciple, which he calls us to do. The second characteristic, going to Matthew 28, he says, teaching them to obey everything I, Jesus, have commanded you. So to be a disciple, you've been taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Now this is very important because in a survey that was done in the last 10 years, 84% of South Africans claim to be Christian. 84% of South Africans would claim to be Christian on a recent survey. I would guess they would say, sure, I know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I know Jesus would be their confession. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. And so we, we're here because we desire to be in him. We desire to be found in him. We desire to abide in him, remain in him. Like we, we know these terms. We want this. And John tells us this is how we actually know that we remain in him. We should walk just as Jesus walked. Our lives should look like the way Jesus lived. Does this mean that we will be perfect like Jesus was? No, it doesn't. We will make mistakes. We will not be perfected until we see him face to face that fateful day. But be very clear if the way you're currently living your life doesn't reflect both the desire to and the keeping of his commands, living life the way he has instructed you to live, the way he's given you as his ways for life to be lived, in this case, even if you call yourself a Christian, if you say, I know Jesus, realize if the way you're living your life isn't to keep his commands according to Scripture, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. Not my words, Scripture's words, God's words. Because a true disciple, a true Christian, knows they're to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And a good question to ask yourself is, would you obey Jesus in whatever he asked you to do? No matter what. No matter what, would you obey him? So Jesus gives this command to his disciples and he clarifies, I want you to go make disciples. And this is what they're going to look like. 
And so we see one of the commands that Jesus is asking each and every one of us to obey is to make disciples. Are you obeying this command of Jesus? Because we can think this command is for skulk, it's for me, it's for the elders in the church. It's a call and a command to every born-again believer in Christ. And I realize it can, it can feel intimidating and overwhelming, like I'm completely unqualified to go make disciples. I can see how it might feel that way, but I, I feel led to encourage you. It's, it's actually as simple as these two things. That if you just keep these two things in mind and let this be your focus, it's really this simple. Number one, the person needs to repent and be baptized to actually realize they're a sinner and die to living life their way, accept what Jesus did on the cross and be found in him. That's one. And then number two, just teach them from here forward that life is actually about obeying Jesus and everything. It might take some time to learn everything written in this book, but do you align with that? Is that your desire? Is that your desire? And if you can get a person to that place, you've made a disciple. You've made a disciple. I want to encourage you guys in that. I think we can make it so complex that it actually is that simple. So are we obeying Jesus in everything? Jeff Kidwell has ministered here before. He's been in ministry for 40 years, and we had a, a new elder come on to eldership in one of our other congregations, and he, he went to Jeff, and he's like, Jeff, you've been doing this for 40 years. I just, I see Jesus in the way you live your life. If you could go back 40 years and just, just give your younger self in ministry some advice, what would you tell him? Like he, was, he was eager to learn what he should know as a young guy starting out in eldership, and Jeff told him two things. Number one, he said, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. What, listen to what God is trying to say to you and tell you to do. Romans 8.14 says, it clarifies who the children of God are. The children of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. So there should be, again, a desire for us to live our lives doing what God wants us to do. So listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then the second thing Jeff told him is do what the Holy Spirit says. Do what the Holy Spirit says. Galatians 5.25. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because one thing to to know what God is asking you to do, it's another thing to actually do it, to actually obey it, to live your life from that place. I mean, it, Jeff's advice, it almost seems too simple. I mean, come on, 40 years of ministry, you must have some deeper truths to impart into me as a new elder. It just seems too simple. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and do what he says. But the question is, does your life reflect that you're doing that moment by moment, day by day? How concerned are you with doing what God desires you to do day in and day out? Prayer is one area where you can observe this. How often are you actually, throughout your day, asking of the Lord, Lord, what would you like me to do today? 
Lord, in light of all the things that I think I have to do today, Lord, how would you like me to do them? You can also look at the Bible. We know we're supposed to read the Bible, but again, if you actually align with the fact that you should do everything that God wants you to do, does the way you engage with the Bible match up with that? The amount of times you, you read it, you open it, your desire to actually read all of it, your desire that you want to, to meditate, to, to get it into you, to make sure that your life lines up with it. Does that match up with the desire to obey God in everything? Now, there's a lot of things in this book. And even if you've read it all, I'd, I'd give you credit if you could recite it all and tell me everything that's written in here. And there's some times where you won't even know that you're sinning. In Psalm 19, verse 12 through 13, the psalmist says something I found very profound. He says, who perceives his unintentional sins? There's things in here that are written that you may be doing right now in your life that you have absolutely no clue that it isn't God's heart for you to do it. And they're actually unintentional sins. They're still sins, but they're unintentional. Like you won't see it. And yet, I, I love the psalmist here. He says, even, even though I don't know I'm sinning, he says, cleanse me, Lord, from my hidden faults. Forgive me. Like, he comes back to what Jesus did on the cross. He says, forgive me for the things I'm doing wrong that I don't even know. Cleanse me from those hidden faults. And he says, moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion." And my concern in the days we're living in, as the world, the ways of the world, what the world is saying continues to get further and further and further away from God's ways and God's kingdom, my concern is that we are actually starting to get comfortable going against God's ways. I believe we're actually starting to get comfortable going against God's ways and living in blatant rebellion against the Lord, to use the psalmist's words. Well, why do I say that? James 4.17. James says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So if you actually know, again, if you don't know... You should still ask the Lord to cleanse you, but you can't see your unintentional sins. However, if you know God is asking you to do something, and you then choose to ignore that and not do it, realize that is sin. Realize that is sin. Like here's an example. Here's a, here's a verse you don't hear preached on very often. Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. I can't remember the last time I heard a preach with this verse in it. And for that reason, you may not know that the life of a disciple of Christ should actually be a life lived without complaining and without arguing, regardless of what's happening around you. You may have not known that until this moment. But if you did know that, or if you sit here in this moment and you now see that, 
how comfortable are you with continuing to complain? Can you justify it? I mean, have you seen that person I work with? We justify it. I'm, I'm seeing this from so many angles and so many conversations that there's, there's, there's certain things that are God's ways that they're just starting to become justified. It's not that big of a deal. Now, sure, murder, adultery, those things are horrible. Horrible sins. I would never do that. But I see this, this justifying and being okay, doing things that God says are not okay. He wants us to obey everything he's commanded. I'll give another example. I've been, I love breaking bread, remembering the Lord's death on the cross, remembering what he did. Uh, I've done it in the classroom study with the TMT students. I've done it in my house. And a number of times now I've had, in those moments, I've, I've had guys very concerned because they're, they say, well, sh should I do this right now because I'm carrying offense against someone. I'm offended with someone. And praise the Lord that the mere fact that we're about to remember what he did on the cross brings you to a place that maybe you just now became aware of that and you deal with that thing in your heart. But my concern is you're waiting for breaking bread to deal with offense in your heart. The Lord's not okay with offense in your heart. Please, if you're aware of it, don't wait to break bread to deal with it. It's not okay in the Lord's eyes. It's not okay. Like, we're starting to look at these things like they're okay and just leave them there rather than deal with them the way the Lord wants us to deal with them. I'll give one more example. I was having a conversation with someone this week. Ah, and they, they were hungering for the Lord, hungering for Him. And I think we all do. I know we all do. We want more of Him. That's why we're here. And they were just being challenged with their their faithfulness in, in, in spending time with him in the morning. And they knew God was inviting them to do that. Of course he is. He wants to meet with us. He wants to spend time with us. And this person said that, I, I know that my disobedience in not spending time with him, that is going to lead to sin. It's going to lead to sin. And it's actually a true statement, but my concern in that statement was, your disobedience to what God's asking you to do is already sin. It's already sin. It's just going to lead to more sin. Scripture speaks of desire leading to sin, leading to death if we don't do something about it. But the mere fact that God has told you to do something and you choose not to do it, you're already sinning. You're already sinning. Seemingly little things. The other day, I felt God telling me, Go do the dishes for your wife. It's seemingly small. It's seemingly little. Actually, I think I had to prepare. I was teaching at TMT Ministry School the next day. Surely that's more important than me doing the dishes as, a, as an elder in the church, right? But in my spirit, I knew God was asking me to do the dishes. And I had to wrestle with it. My wife had already gotten up, and she was starting to make her way to the kitchen because she's amazing, and she, she was going to do the dishes and make the kitchen look beautiful. I could have just let her go. And actually, I thought about it. I'm going to be honest. I'm not perfect either. I thought about it. Like, yeah, let her go. I'm going to go prepare for my teaching. But in my heart of hearts, I knew God was asking me to do it. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. But I knew God was asking me to do it. And fortunately, I won that battle. 
but realize if I ignored that, I was sinning against God. I was resisting the Holy Spirit. To not do what God is asking us to do is sin. And it's oftentimes that when we resist these seemingly small promptings, days and weeks go by and we get to this place where it feels like God is distant. We don't know where he is. We can't remember the last time we opened this book. Part of the reason is because when we open it, we feel like he's not there. And I wonder, I can't speak for his ways, but I wonder if he's just saying, will you listen if I even do appear and speak to you again? Because you didn't before. We're not stewarding when he does speak to us. Now, I know for some of you, you hear this message, and you may have walked in here this morning, and you may have already been feeling bad about yourself because you know you're not living life the way God wants you to. Now, here's the preacher standing at the front of the church telling you it's actually worse than you thought before you walked in here. And you're feeling even worse now. I think this is the biggest thing that God wants to put into us this morning. Although I do believe it's very important, I think we actually have a, a fear of the Lord and realize the way he wants us to live our lives. But in light of that, he wants us in those moments where we realize that we're missing the mark to come to him. To come to him. So realize, when we realize we're a horrible person, and I know these moments, I can remember these moments where out of nowhere, I'm living my life thinking I am a great Christian. And I'll be in the Word, or just he'll drop a thought in my mind, and he'll just be like, yeah, that, that way you just handled that with your wife, that was completely ungentle and unloving. And he'll just out of nowhere just put this ugly sin in front of my face that I had done, that I didn't even know I had done. And it's horrible to look at. It's terrible. I don't want to see that. None of us want to see that. And I could just... I could then just run away and say, oh, God, I'm not worthy. But that's not what he wants. He's not showing that to make us feel terrible. He's showing that because he actually wants us to make us look more like him. He wants to transform that in us. He wants to transform that. We need to realize that. I mean, my goodness, he loved us so much that when we were already horrible sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die on a cross for our sins when we least deserved it. That still applies now, today, with whatever we do. 1 John 1.9. Beautiful, beautiful verse. It says, if we confess our sins, like actually admit that we've sinned. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How beautiful is that? I mean, it almost doesn't make sense to me. But it's incredible. If we actually admit and confess our sins and say, God, I missed it. I missed it. Forgive me. He, because of who he is, he's faithful and he's just to actually forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of your sin. 
And I feel like when we use the word repentance, repentance is one of those words that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Some churches, they, I've heard this, I can't confirm from first-hand knowledge, but I've heard that some churches literally won't let pastors even use the word in church because it doesn't feel good. Why? Because it implies that you've made a mistake. It implies that you're not perfect. And that doesn't feel good in today's culture. I mean, some of us Christians for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, surely we should have it all figured out by now, right? Now, we wouldn't say that with our mouths, but sometimes the way we approach repentance, it looks like that. It looks like that. I mean, if we realize that our standard for how we're supposed to live is Jesus, walk as he walked, and we look at everything that's written in this book, we'll realize that each and every one of us, I'll just speak for myself, I fall very, very, very short of the way Jesus lived his life. Very, very short. I'm not even close. I don't know about any of you. I am not even close. I think it's only God's grace that he'll usually show me just one way I fall short at a time. I don't think I can handle if he showed me all the ways. It's usually it's God's grace he'll show me one way I'm falling short at a time. But do I realize that? It's, it's like a paradigm shift. If I realize that, if I realize that when it comes to repentance, I'm going to be repenting. I do. I'm going to be repenting a lot. A lot. Because I want to become like him. So I'm always asking him the question, Lord, how do I not look like you right now? As I'm reading the word of God, and it says, do everything without complaining, I didn't need to look at my life. Am I complaining? Oh my goodness, I'm complaining a lot. Okay, wait. This doesn't mean I'm a horrible person. As long as I confess my sins and say, Lord, I'm complaining a lot. I just realized I'm not supposed to be complaining a lot. It's going to be really hard for me to do this on my own. Please help me not to complain anymore. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that your son died on the cross, not just for the sins before I gave my life to you, but for all this complaining I just became aware of as well. Thank you that his sacrifice is enough. It is enough. This should be happening all the time. We shouldn't be looking like we have it all together. James 5, it speaks about confessing your sins to one another and praying for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How often are we confessing our sins to one another? Can you remember the last time you confessed your sins to someone? I mean, I think if we actually understood this, it wouldn't be awkward. It wouldn't be awkward. It wouldn't be awkward in community group. Every single person just saying, like, man, the Lord showed me I'm completely impatient with my wife, and I don't know how to change. Can you guys please pray for me? It wouldn't be awkward. It would be normal. We'd realize that we all fall short, and outside of the grace of God, his death, his mercy, his forgiveness, prayer, seeking his face and coming to him, we're not going to get it right. But in him, we are going to be so strong. We're going to walk in so much strength in him, so much peace of realizing we're his because of all he's done and because we're in him. 
and we are going to shine in a dark and a perverse, corrupt generation. And that's his heart. That's what he wants. He wants us to come to him. He loves us. He paid the price for our sins. And he wants us to come to him in everything, knowing that we need him, knowing that he, oh, if we can just taste and see him, nothing this world has to offer will compare. Nothing will compare. It's all we want. It's all we need. And from that place, Lord, have your way. Have your way. We sang it this morning, come have your way. Sometimes we can sing that, Lord, come have your way in this area. Come have your way in this struggle I'm going through. I know you raised your son from the dead. That's the only way I'm going to get through this thing I'm going through at work right now. I need that power over there. He wants to do that. But it's, Lord, come have your way in everything. Every area of your life, everything you do and the way you do it. It's that. And it's beautiful if we let him do that, church. It's beautiful if we let him do that. If I can get the worship guys to come up. Stay with me. Stay with me. We read the book of Acts as a church last month. There's an interesting, an interesting passage that caught my attention that I felt the Lord bring to remembrance this morning. Paul went to Athens. We'll start in verse 30, Acts 17, verse 30. And Paul was sharing about Jesus in Athens, in this town where they were worshiping many gods. And Paul made a statement to them. He said, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We need to realize Jesus is coming back soon to judge the earth. And God's wrath will come on those that are not in him, that have not repented. And so Paul's sharing this with them. Paul has shared this reality and this truth with them. <clears throat> and then we see their response, verse 32. It says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And it does say some believed. But I want to look at verse 32. Now, of course, there's some who sneer. It's a sad reality of life. God desires all to be saved, but Scripture is very clear. Not all will. Some will choose to reject him. Some will sneer at this truth. But I want to highlight that others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And man, if this was an evangelism outreach, you may be thinking, wow, we need to, this is great. We got people that want to hear more about this. Let's schedule a time. We'll come back here on Wednesday. We'll talk more about this. You might be encouraged by this response. And surely Paul must have come back and shared again, right? 
Well, we see in chapter 18, verse 1, that after this happened, it doesn't say Paul continued to share and came back. It says Paul left Athens. And you may wonder, what was Paul thinking? What about that group of people that wanted to hear more? I think the answer is in Acts 17, 21, where it describes this group of people in Athens. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. All they did was talk about and listen to the latest ideas. Do you think something of that is reflected in the culture we live in today? Talking about and listening to the latest ideas, the things that are happening in the world. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you see that? And Paul had preached the gospel and made it very clear to this group of people that now God may have overlooked your ignorance in the past, but now he is commanding all people everywhere to repent. He made it crystal clear. And he said, Jesus is coming to judge the world with justice. There was no uncertainty in the message that Paul gave. And when their response was just like, wow, that was really interesting to listen to. Come back and be our guest speaker again next week. Paul left. Paul left. I imagine, I mean, Paul obeyed the Holy Spirit, but I imagine there's a sense that these guys aren't going to respond. They've heard this message now, but they've chosen not to respond. And I think church can look like that. Wow. Pete was really fired up today. He was passionate. That was a good message. Let's go have lunch. Maybe we'll talk about what Pete said. Oh, well, what, you know, your friend wasn't here. What did Pete preach about? Ah, Pete talked about Jesus, yeah. But is there a heart of responding in repentance? And this applies, yes, the first time we choose to turn away and be born again and follow him. But church, again, it responds every time the Holy Spirit shows us that we're missing him in some way, shape, or form. Are you actually going to respond? Because if you don't, again, you're, you're becoming hardened against sin. You're accepting sin. You're tolerating it. There's something in you that's saying, ah, it's not that bad. And in God's eyes, it's very, very bad. Now, Jesus died for it, but you have to realize how bad it is. Because if you continue to harden your heart towards it and not respond... It could lead you further and further and further away from him. And the way I read the Bible, it could actually lead you so far away from him that you're no longer in him. And possibly on your way to hell. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. So it's so important that when we have these times, and really it's your whole life, it's any time that God breaks in and shows you something, 
But our response always has to be if we realize that we've missed it. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me of my sin. I see it now. Thank you for showing it to me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for this. Because I couldn't do this on my own. And Lord, forgive me. And Lord, help me. I want to obey you in everything. You're worthy. You deserve it all. So I am before you, here, broken, desiring to give you it all. This should be our response moment by moment as the Lord shows us how we can become more like Him. I can ask everyone to stand, please. Christian, if you could put up 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and 15, please. God speaks to Solomon. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. This was spoken to the nation of Israel, but it certainly applies to us because these moments require us to humble ourselves. Again, there's such a tendency to think we have it all together. When God shows us that we don't have it all together in His eyes, there's a humility that comes by admitting that. Not just admitting that, because we could feel bad about ourselves, but admitting that and then seeking His face praying and seeking his face with the desire to turn away from what he has just shown you. To turn away from sin, to turn away from the things that he doesn't desire us to do. And rather, to, to follow him. To follow him. So I want to I pray for us as a group this morning, but I want each one of you to to respond in some way to the Lord if He's asking you to. And again, sometimes these moments, they, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but they can feel awkward. When preacher says, hey, if God is showing you that you are a sinner, raise your hand. And you look around, am I going to be the only one raising my hand? And, and if you are, hallelujah, God wants you to raise your hand. 
So my concern is if you don't raise your hand in that moment, my concern is you may not respond to the Lord in your life. And that's a way greater concern than raising your hand in this group of people here right now. So this morning, if, if the Lord has shown you a way that he wants you to adjust the way you're living your life, I don't care how small you think it is or how giant you think it is. He's bigger than whatever it is. He's died for whatever it is, but he also wants you to respond no matter how small you think it is. But if you feel the Lord calling you to change something in your life this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now. And I want to pray for you. Again, this is, this is between you and the Lord. If there's anything in your life as you sat here, you realize, oh, Lord, I see it now. I see it now. I want to change. I want to change. I want to change this thing. I see it. I want to obey you in everything. Raise your hand right now. I want to pray for us as a group. I believe the Lord wants to bring us so deep into him, so deep into him, so deep into his strength, so deep into what he did on the cross, such a revelation of him and his gospel that allows us to walk in strength with him. So, Lord, I pray right now that as each one of us, Lord, responds to you, we are here. We came to seek your face, Lord, to worship you, to praise you, to declare you as worthy. But, oh, Lord, we want to reflect you well. We want to obey you in everything. It's your ways, not our ways, Lord. As each person now here humbly stands, Lord, I hear you. I hear you, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Help me. Help me to follow you in the way that you're asking me to follow you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for this thing, Lord. Thank you that I am forgiven and cleansed because you are faithful and just. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your love. Oh, I pray that in this moment as we humbly come before you, show us even more of your love. Show us even more of who you are. Help us to taste and see how beautiful you are. That our only desire is to be in your presence. Our only desire is to see your face no matter what we do throughout our days. Oh, lead us into this place, Lord. May we be a joyful church. May we be a strong church. May we be a shining church to the world around us, Lord. May they see you in us. May you be glorified in your church, Lord. May you be glorified in your church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just uh, for a moment, respond in worship, so um, not just where you are, and it's just, Come before Him and worship Him.